This is episode 92 with the U.S. record holder in the marathon, road 10 mile, 15K and 8K, Olympic bronze medalist and winner of the 2005 Chicago Marathon, 2006 London Marathon and the 2008 U.S. Olympic Trials, arguably the best distance runner of a generation, Ms. Dina Castor. boy runners strap into your seats turn the volume up and get ready for one of my personal favorite podcast episodes to date i'm speaking with the one and only dina castor who has been a dominant force if not the dominant force in the sport of running for decades you simply can't say enough about dina's range her ability to race well in nearly every distance she holds the u.s record in the marathon with a 219.36 personal best And as a side note, how unbelievable is it when your personal record is also the American record? I just think that's unreal. She's also the U.S. record holder in the Masters Marathon with a 227.47 finish, but she's also got wheels. Dina has the road record in the 8K and 15K, which really shows her versatility. But we're not talking about how fast Dina is in this episode. In fact, we're barely talking about her training at all. We're talking about the thing that binds us recreational runners to the pros. The one similarity that's the same whether you run 219 in the marathon or 519. And that's your brain, your mind, your outlook, perspective, or mindset that can either make or break your running. The power of sports psychology and gaining this mental fitness is so profound, as you're going to see from my conversation with Dina. I also want to thank today's sponsor, SteadyMD. They're like a personal concierge doctor for endurance runners, helping you with nutrition, recovery, and injury issues that a regular PCP usually can't tackle. And with 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week access, and a doctor who's also a sub-three marathoner, you know you're getting great running-specific service. Go to SteadyMD.com slash strengthrunning to see if they have any spots left, and check out all the benefits of working with a doctor who's also a runner. Okay, runners, let's get ready for our conversation about mindset and her award-winning memoir, Let Your Mind Run, with Ms. Dina Castor. Dina, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I think we should start with some congratulations. I think some congrats are in order. I just learned uh, a couple days ago that you won uh, an award for your book, Let Your Mind Run. It was outstanding memoir at the 2019 American Society of Journalists and Authors Annual Awards. That's incredible. Congratulations. I was shocked. In the middle of a very busy weekend, I was out at the Cherry Blossom 10-mile run, very busy weekend at the expo, and I had a few minutes to sit down in my hotel room before heading out to to a dinner. And I was looking through emails and I was like, oh my God, I'm just finally sitting here for two seconds and this award just drops out of the sky. It felt like such a privilege. And just before um, just before our interview, I was on the phone with my co-author to congratulate her. She actually won two awards at this event, which is incredible for getting the, the memoir of the year, which is a complete honor because I've read some great memoirs this year. And um, and she also wrote a piece for Runner's World on on women and running in Saudi Arabia, which won a, a Compassion Award, which is pretty spectacular. Yeah. And for our listeners, your co-author is Michelle Hamilton. So if they want to check out her other writing, uh, I think that's, that's really incredible. Now, Dina, does this award mean a little bit more to you since you're a writing major in college? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think I've, after 20-something years out of college, I finally put my degree to, to use by writing this book. But I think that um, as with anything, when you work so hard on a project, whether it's it's training training to reach a, a PR in a race or, um, or writing this book and knowing that that ink is going to be permanent and wanting it to be good um, and wanting to touch lives and inspire people, um, this award means so, so much. It definitely feels like a podium. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's so many parallels between working so hard at your running and achieving results and then working so hard at your writing and achieving these yeah. kinds of results. The only difference in the two was that in writing, there was no recovery days. It was just like grindstone, grindstone, grindstone. And I really savor recovery days and long sleep. And uh, unfortunately, in the book writing process, you don't get that because there's deadlines. <laughs> yeah. What, what's considered a recovery day as a writer? Is that like only a thousand words? I, I think a recovery day for a writer is when uh, your deadline is is passed and you have no more work to do. That's when you get to recover. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Dina, let's uh, let's go back to when you started running. Uh, you have such a uh, unique beginning to your running career because you were undefeated for such a long period of time. You set a lot of records in that process, but then you got to college and you started losing. And I, I found this part of your book because you have, uh, you know, there's one chapter and it's called winning. And then the next chapter is losing. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. What a juxtaposition. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it seemed like you had a lot of challenges adapting to that aspect of competition because you weren't admittedly very used to it. And then you finally wrote that after your, I think it was your sixth place finish at the national championships your senior year, you raced with excitement, but not without fear. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. What was it that you were afraid of? What was it you were fearful about at that moment in your career? I think I, I was scared of losing my identity because for so many years, people dubbed me as talented. And this was a title that I, I wore without re really any understanding of what it meant. It felt like a character trait. So I think I, even in the book, it was like having blonde hair and freckles that the talent, my running talent was just something I was born with. So it wasn't something I could pride myself in, in, in pushing and striving for. It was just, it was just there. And I went out each weekend to express it. And I was so scared to, to lose that race and, and lose that title of being talented because then what was I, if I was, if I was only six in the country, where, where did that leave me going into the unknown of college? So it scared the death out of me. And um, and running with that fear and insecurity ended up having um, physical stress, ended up giving physical stress to my body and led me to a cycle of injury. So it was the mental manifestation that created the the um, the physical injuries that I felt all throughout college. And um, and it took a long time to even understand that it wasn't until after college that I realized that my perspective was really and my interpretation was was my life and um, and that's what I was living and I and I sought to change that and luckily fell into the right hands with Coach B Hill to be able to empower me and instill belief that I could be something better than I was through choice. Right, and your book really goes into this journey that you go on of of changing that perspective and not being so tied to just the outcome of the race. And and it seems like once you did start 
training with Coach V Hill, there was such a a difference in approach and perspective. And, uh, you know, you kind of come back to this line very frequently in your book about the importance of having a good attitude. And this is Coach's kind of line that he uses very frequently with members of his team. And uh, I I think he said that to you before your first run with the team. What does having a, quote, good attitude mean for a runner? And and can it be cultivated and and improved upon? I mean, I, I think your story answers that question, but I'd love to hear kind of you talk through it a little bit. Yeah, and Coach Vigil did instill a good attitude every day. Show up with a good attitude, and it was our and it was our onus every single practice to show up and be supportive of our teammates. Be focused on the task at hand was another one of his one of his mantras. Focus on the task at hand. Just put yourself in this microcosm and put your blinders on and get the work done. And to be able to understand how my attitude in any given workout, because we always get to that place of strain. And to see how my my attitude, whether I had self-pity and suffering at the forefront of my mind or excitement at the possibility of strengthening and enduring more than I ever have, um, it gave a physical a physical difference. It 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 um it radiated in my body in a much more different way. And I could feel that so intensely that I always sought to to uplift and inspire myself, be a cheerleader. And not to the point of arrogance, but to the point of of giving the moment the the most potential that it could possibly have. And it even got to a point where you realize, well, gosh, having a good attitude can sometimes um, can sometimes be naive because if you're disappointed in a performance or or you truly are injured and hurting, to say everything's fine is is really denial. It's not it's not having a good attitude. It's de- it's denying listening to your body. So it is um, it's an important. I, I think it's important to step back and actually hear where those voices are coming from and listen to the root of of what we're feeling. Because in the book, I also show um, what an eye opener it was to learn that disappointment could actually work in your favor. It doesn't have to mean that you were a failure, that you failed at your task and that you yourself are a failure, which I did for so many years. Disappointment um, um, in a split second with Coach V Hill's guidance let me know that it just meant that I cared and expected more out of myself. So let's get back to the drawing board and get back to work so that I can continue continue building and growing to the to the athlete that I that I expected myself to be. So it's beautiful that running can allow you to translate harder emotions in life in a similar way. And and I think we'd be missing the boat if we didn't realize that all of the all of the lessons and the journeys we go through in running um, don't transfer over into our into our personal lives. And I even put that onus on myself when I'm in the middle of of the suffering and the pain at mile 24 of a marathon, and I don't think I've got another two miles in me. And it seems easy to to disregard the race, like oh, it's just a it's just a dumb race on a given Sunday. Who really cares? This is good enough. I just want to finish. But then I then I put the um, I put the burden on myself to realize that this moment is actually building the character who I am, that this is this is creating mental habits that I, I want to cultivate in my life. And so if I dig down instead of give up, then I'll more likely do that when the going gets tough in my personal life as well. I'm pretty sure you just went through every anxiety that runners have <laughs> in a race. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm even sweating to show for it. Yeah, it gives, I know. it gives me anxiety to think of anxiety. Yes. Right. I have this physiological response to the, <laughs> the, the stress of racing. I'm get, uh, sweating a little bit myself. And, you know, hearing you talk about that, it, it reminds me of, of honestly, I, I was reading your book, too. I kept thinking back to college workouts on the track where your entire life boils down to, let me just get through this lap. Let me just get through this rep. Let me get through this workout. And in those moments where you are just experiencing this entire new world of personal suffering, you know, you do have that choice to make. You have that choice to make where you can sandbag it and say, it's just one 800 meter rep. It's just a workout. Or like you said, you know, I can be building the character of the person that I want to be. And, and I think a lot of runners learn that over a long period of time through trial and error. Um, I, I know I certainly did. I, I didn't have a, you know, a sports psychologist with me kind of working through a lot of these issues. But is there a way for the everyday runner like me to kind of take, you know, a decade or 15 years of learning and, and try to compress that? I mean, can, can a new runner somehow get some of the advantages of learning something that normally takes a long time like that? How can we help runners learn that more quickly? Yeah. And that's, it's a great question. And I think that that was one of the, um, that was one of the, the points I, I focused on when I decided to write, let your mind run that I wanted the, I felt the privilege of learning so many great truths in this sport after being in it for a few decades and wanted to be able to share those truths so that people wouldn't have to spend three decades learning it, that they could, they could, um, they could read about it and apply it immediately because it really boils down to a single choice. And we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts that go through our mind every single day. And we have the choice to, uh, we have the choice to, um, either listen to those thoughts or steer them in a more positive direction that helps support our desires. And so if it's really just the art of paying attention and then the privilege of shaping that choice to, to, to persevere and every choice either steers us closer to or away from our goals. So to take them, to take them, um, heavily to really feel the burden of that choice, but do it in a playful way that we have the privilege of that, of that choice. And not, not everybody in the world has that. And, um, and certainly as a runner, like what a privilege to be able to, to add that despair and add that pain and challenge in a controlled environment so that we can build mental habits that help um, transcend us through all of life's challenges. And it's almost like that that despair <laughs> in in a workout or a race is it's a small enough dose of it, and it's controllable enough where it does I think help us grow into uh, better people than you know something that that may be a little bit more heavy, but this is something that we can control, and I think that's really exciting. And you know when I think back to some of the most impactful coaches that I've had in my career. Um, even my high school cross country coach, he always talked about decisions and saying, you know, he had this line where, you know, you might be half mile from the finish or a mile to finish in a cross country race. And he would call out to us, it's time to make a decision. And we knew what that meant. It was that that exact decision to, am I going for it? Am I going to see what I really can achieve today? Or is it going to be one of those sandbagging kind of a race where I'm just going to jog it into the finish. And so I think as runners, if, if we can look through that lens on our training as a lens of decision making, then hopefully we can make a few more better decisions and get closer to our goals.
Absolutely. And being wishy-washy is, is just as bad as, as, um, as not giving our best. If we're just riding that, that line of in between, because if you look at it, the choices between, and I use the highs and the lows of like giving up or digging down of throwing in the towel or dropping that hammer, that there are very black and white decisions that we have to make out there. And I think that, what I what I try to reinforce every time those tough decisions come up, and I do it because I want to be a good role model for my daughter, and I want to. Um, she might not see me in the crux of that de- decision making, but at home she'll see me in the crux of a decision making process, and I want to be able to default to digging down each time that um, each time that she's there to to witness it. Yeah, that's a nice way to relate the very difficult decision-making that you might make in a race situation or in a workout to some things that you might experience in, in real life. Um, now, Dina, one of the things I loved about your book is that, you know, you just shared so many amazing stories about your training and your racing and your life. And uh, there was one story that I just thought was incredible. It, it actually wasn't even about you, but your, your coach was sharing the story about the 1968 Olympics. And it was in Mexico City. It was at altitude. And it was kind of understood at the time that, oh, no one's going to run under 340 in the men's 1500 because it's at altitude. And last year, I think it was run in 333 or the previous Olympics. It was won at about 333. And Coach Vigil said, you know, he said, that's the amazing thing about the mind. Once you develop a mental level of expectation, it stays with you. And, and this is such an interesting just concept that I think we should explore a little bit. What kind of mental expectations might you have had to abandon in your running career that might have been holding you back? Right. There's so many. I mean, they, it, mental expectations could be used to your advantage or disadvantage. And I think if you limit yourself... Um, that it's to your disadvantage. But if you, people say to make sure your goals are within reach, like I, I debunk that, like set them out there, like shoot for the stars. Um, and I believe that to be true. And I'll give another little analogy to explain it, that if you were someone that was striving to be valedictorian of your class and you made the decisions every day to sit in the front row and, and ask questions if you didn't understand, as soon as you're cognitive ability surpassed your parents, you got a tutor so that you can get the help that you needed to understand your homework. And you did your homework before you met your friends at the mall and you're acing all your tests. But on the final exam, you miss one question and you got beat to that valedictorian chair. You were a far better student by pursuing it than if you you didn't have that lofty goal to begin with. So I really think that having that high level of of expectation to um, to really like dream up your wildest fantasies of who you want to become in the sport and it within life, and then take those stepping stones to get there. You're going to be far greater than if you just wanted to to pass your classes or just wanted to finish the race. What I love about this idea too is that it can be incorporated and used with you know, the loftiest of goals and also just on the most mundane of decisions that you make on an almost daily basis. You know, when you're, say you're, you know, oh, should I uh, try to run uh, a sub four marathon or should I try to finish a marathon? Or, you know, you you might be, you know, in the heat of a race and you have that kind uh, of an interesting decision to make. And uh, I find it very uh, applicable to, many kinds of decisions that that we make as runners. Uh, So, you know, if you're setting goals, it could be as simple as, 
um, you know, saying to yourself, you know, when it comes to this race, I'm going to go out really fast and hard and take a risk and see what happens in the race. Cause I, I find, you know, a lot of adult runners, we are very cautious when it comes to racing. And, you know, I always like to say, you know, don't, let's not make decisions that are way outside your physical, uh, limitations, but at the same time, let's take a risk every once in a while, because that's when the breakthroughs happen. And I think once you can kind of get away from doing the things that you always do, and you can take a risk every once in a while, again, in that controlled environment, then you're really going to be able to, to see what you can do. Right. Cause if you're running, if you're running the, the 5k you run every year and you just want to chip away at your personal best there, then you'll run conservatively and try to kick in a little harder at the end. But what if you, what if you went out hard? What if you, what if you went out and got to that point of strain, maybe you're halfway through the race and you're like, Oh my gosh, like this, I'm, I'm not sure that this is sustainable, but trying to sustain it for that 3.1 miles. And even like the worst thing that happens is that you are suffering greatly in that final stretch, but like suffering is just breathing heavier and your legs are more sore the next day. Like that's not really the end of the world there. (laughs) No, no. And, and really you may set an outlandish goal of PRing by a minute in the 5k and then you come up short and you fail and that race hurts, but you might've run a 20 second PR and you never would have gotten that 20 second PR if you had shot for a 5 second PR and then you know your shoe came untied and the whole thing went down the drain because you didn't give yourself the opportunity from the very beginning right and what's failing like failing is not reaching your goal on on a weekend when you I know, set out to, to run fast yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i think the i think the courage i think the courage to strive and push your boundaries should be a reason to pat yourself on the back, even if you fall short of your time or place goal. Right. And part of this too is is an element of having a, a growth mindset and thinking that you can be better in in the future at anything than you are right now. And you know, you wrote about an interesting insight in chapter four that I want to talk a little bit more about. And you mentioned that you had relied on talent for so long. But then as a professional, which is a fixed mindset, it's the exact opposite of what you were just talking about. Yes, yes exactly. Exactly. Because yes. you were given a certain amount of talent and then you can use it. And that's it. You were given a fixed amount of talent. But then you you had this epiphany as a pro, you know, uh, I, I think a, a Kenyan or I'm sorry, um, you were participating in the work was one of the quotes that uh, I read in the book that I really loved and part of the process. And you also wrote that, you know, these bullet points of lifestyle were profound to me. And you really started putting all these pieces together once you went professional after college. And, you know, I kind of want to explore this. What do you mean by um, participating in the work and, you know, the lifestyle of running? What's behind all that? Right. And uh, juxtapose that to just thinking that every weekend I just showed up and hoped my talent would would outlast and outmaneuver the competition to be able to be the driver of all of that was so powerful to me to know that the decisions I made, the choices I made, whether I was grocery shopping, getting into bed, putting in the work on the roads in Alamosa, all those choices throughout the day built the runner I was becoming and even the the self-supporting thoughts and whether I would get discouraged getting getting um, mutilated by the guys on a on a run and getting sent to bed for a four-hour nap in the afternoon because I was so depleted and exhausted 
or being like, man, I'm pushing my pushing my my limits. I am rebuilding myself and and restoring myself through through rest and nutrition to be able to come back the next day and do it again. It was so exciting for me to be such a huge part of that process. And it took, I think, having a hundred percent belief in my coach that that program, that program works. And, uh, and so I don't have to think about that. I just have to come show up and execute. And then the rest is all up to me. And I think, um, I think being the, um, coach, coach Vigil and I being in that front row seat together and, and working together was such a beautiful, what's such a beautiful and powerful moment in my life, juxtaposed to just weeks prior when I was thinking about quitting the sport because I wasn't sure my talent could withhold through a professional career. You certainly made uh, a very impactful decision on the rest of your life to go train in Alamosa for sure. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to to hit on real quick, Dina, was, um, you know, this idea of uh, you buying into the coach's program and you actually started seeing some pretty good results within a couple months of, of training with coach V Hill. And, uh, because it was so different from kind of your approach to running beforehand, I can't help but think that, you know, if runners really want to commit to what I'll call, you know, the runner's lifestyle, you know, really focusing on the process of training and recovery and eating well and all that, then it doesn't take too long for all of the benefits of the many different things you're now doing really well to start accumulating and to really, you know, start having an effect on your running. Is this something that you would recommend kind of going all in and, and kind of seeing what you can do, uh, for even, you know, maybe if you're an adult runner, maybe you just do that for a couple months and, you know, you, you don't have all the time in the world to constantly devote to your running, but I think it's an interesting concept to apply to your training every once in a while to reach a breakthrough or to break through a plateau. I agree a hundred percent. And I, I owe that type of commitment. Um, the commitment I jumped into when I moved to Alamosa to coach Mylon Donnelly, um, the assistant coach at the university of Arkansas at the time. And he said, don't just go and give it a month or two to see how it works. Commit for four, for four years Commit your entire life to to what you're what you're aspiring to do, and live it and breathe it and trust it, and then reassess after that. And I loved that advice because I think too often we might try a diet for a couple of days and realize we're getting a little crabby, or you know we try we just dabble and try something. But if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, dive into it and and live it and breathe it and give that to yourself. And, and I think, um, I think I had the privilege because it was my, it was my job at the time besides waitressing to earn a few dollars. It was my job at the time. So I could add in the naps, but if you are a business person and you can't afford to just leave your job to, to go pursue a personal best and in training, make the rest of your day really focused around it. Bring your, bring your lunch to the to the office so you don't have the stress of needing to leave or that you know you're getting the right nutrients. Steal an extra hour of sleep by getting into bed an hour earlier each night and make those kind of choices so that they can build up and 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 grow and get a get a coach you believe in that gives you the highs of trainings and the lows of recovery so that you could ride that beautiful wave of of recovery and and super compensation to build to build yourself stronger cuz a lot of 
I think the biggest problem I see in the masses is just getting out there and running, running a strong pace every day. And instead of getting those real like hard stresses in training and then the really low recovery days so that you can super compensate. Yeah, that kind of training polarization, I think, is really important to, you know, really prompt those adaptations. And then you're really focusing on recovery on those easy days. And, you know, it's it's so funny, like hearing you kind of talk through this because uh, and I was certainly running at a level, many, many levels underneath you, Dina. But every time that I got a little frustrated with my training and I just kind of something snapped in me and I just said, no, this season's going to be different. I'm going to have a breakthrough. I need to run, you know, whatever it is, one minute faster in this race to to be competitive and to reach my goals. I always was able to do it because I just, it was like a massive commitment of it. Something snapped. And, you know, for me, it was the summer before my senior year in high school. And then at the same time in college where I just was, was so tired of not having breakthroughs that I, so 100% committed to training and it worked. It was like, yeah. you know, I love, we talk about these things and I'm sure people are listening like, oh, this isn't going to happen. And this is harder than it sounds. It's not actually that much harder. What I think is difficult is the fact that committing at a high level is really all about, it's not about saying I commit. It's making a hundred little decisions every single That's day right. that add up. Yes. And to take the, yeah, but it doesn't have to be hard if you look at it that you're making the choice anyway. Maybe your choice has become more habit to do the opposite. But if you're making the choice, if you if you actually break up your day into those micro decisions, if you have to make the choice anyway, make a choice that's going to support your happiness and your and your prosperity and your your growth as opposed to the choices that are habitual and mundane that are keeping you locked in at a certain level. So um, to step back and make those choices a little more consciously, it is, it, it makes it seem very simple in my mind. It's all about decisions, isn't it? Comes back to those decisions. Now, another big theme in your book is that we should replace our negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And, you know, from an everyday practical perspective. Is this just as simple as saying, you know, I've made this big commitment. So now all of my decisions are going to be in line with that commitment? Yeah. And and obviously life is going on at the same time. So sometimes it's not that simple because uh, training is disrupted when you get a call that your kid has the flu and you have to pick them up from school or whatever, whatever some of those sidelining things have to be. But then you end up making the choice to be the best mom you can be by picking up that kid and taking care of them. And so you're making good choices there. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to your running. It seems like a feather in your, in your parenting cap. And, um, and so just always being, being there to, to support that person in you that you're trying, that you're trying to be, because it's not just all about running all the time that we have jobs and, and families and, and to be able to balance all that and give yourself credit for, for the effort of your balancing is, is really important. But with, as far as the, those little decisions, as long as it's supporting some part of your integrity and who you want to be, I think you can be proud of, of doing that. So it's going to support your running, even if it might be taking away from your training during that, that time, um, that it's supporting your running because it is uplifting who you are. I was really attracted to this idea because it seems like it had a very transformational effect on not just your your running, your your training and 
your career, but really your entire mindset about success and, and not just with running, really with with anything else that's outside of running, because um, you're you're now thinking you're reframing every potential negative as a positive, as fuel for your motivation. And I think that's really powerful uh, as a way for us runners to subtly shift our mindset over time. And, and I think a lot of runners try to make these big mindset shifts all at once. And that's that's difficult. It's really hard for runners to do that. And instead, if we can, you know, make a series of smaller decisions to shift our mindset from, you know, uh, one of more negativity to one of more positivity over time, we're going to be better runners. And you had a great section in your book where you kind of went through a lot of the negative thoughts that runners have and ways to reframe it. Um, can you talk about some of the more common ones and, and some of the ways that runners might take something that they always have this negative thought in this situation. How could it possibly be a positive? Right. Oh my gosh. There's so many negative thoughts like from, I mean, I live in a, in a mountain town. So even years of practicing positivity, I still find myself saying internally, I hate this hill. And I have to say, Oh, come on. Don't you know this by now? Like this, this hill is making you stronger at hills every time you run it. And so kind of talking myself down from, from that, from that, that kind of talk. And then there's other times where I might say, Oh, come on. And it's meant to be supportive. Like, come on, like, let's come on. But my tone is totally off. It's condescending and mean to say, Oh, come on. And so I change it a little like, come on, Dina, come on, let's, let's do this. We've, we've got this just one, if the mile ahead seems too long, just take it one step at a time. And so I think when you're, when you, when you can shift this day in and day out decision after decision, you know, you don't just miraculously become this, this optimist and, and Buddha like enlightened, enlightened person. But what it does do is it gives you more self-acceptance. It gives you more self-esteem. And that carries over into every aspect of your life, which is so important. And again, it comes with the privilege of being a runner that you get to that you get to cultivate this on the run and carry it into your life with you. I think running is a unique sport in that it it is, I think, a bit more negative in a way in that uh, we're putting ourselves voluntarily in a situation where we're going to be quite uncomfortable. You know, this isn't like golf <laughs> or, yeah. or, or a lot of other sports where... Thank goodness. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> See, there's some things about running that, that we have a love-hate relationship with. But, you know, there's some sports where you don't voluntarily put yourself in a painful or uh, uncomfortable situation. And, and I think with running that makes it even more powerful to cultivate this more optimistic mindset because you are always going to be, you know, three repetitions deep into a workout and not feel very well. You are always going to be halfway into a long run and you realize, wow, I'm really tired. <laughs> or many of these other situations that happen almost on a weekly basis for runners. And so I think, you know, any strategies that we can use to move us closer to that more optimistic, more accepting mindset is going to have really profound effects on our performances as well. Absolutely. And, and, and also along that same line, being in this sport different from any other is that no matter, no matter where you are on the spectrum of ability and motivation, socioeconomic status, race, religion, whatever it is, we are in it together and, and, 
Wanjiru is probably going through Kipchoge, all these world world record holders in the in the marathon go through the same exact ebbs and flows of a race of training cycles as someone who's running their first marathon. They have um, little things that pop up and they wonder if it's an injury or just or just a tired muscle. Is it um, is it plateauing or am I just tired? Is um, is am I going to be able to finish this long run at this pace or am I doomed? Like we all, we all have the same thoughts. And I think it's so beautiful to be in a sport um, that is so relatable across the board. And, um, and I think the community, the running community definitely feels that on, on any given weekend when we meet up for that 20 miler before a marathon or we're standing on the starting line of, of a, of a major marathon, maybe it's 40,000, 50,000 people deep. And so many people have gone through a similar process to get there. It's a really beautiful spectacle. One of my favorite aspects of running is the fact that it does not matter how fast you are, how slow you are, you are going to experience the same emotions on race day as anybody else. And plus the fact that, you know, if you're running a marathon, I get to run the same marathon that you get to run, Dina, even though, you know, you start ahead of me and I'm not running next to you. That is a very cool aspect of running that you don't get if you're, you know, a fan of the, the NFL. You don't get to play football at Gillette Stadium in Massachusetts. You know, you don't get to go into Fenway Park. You're seeing I'm originally from Massachusetts here. So yes, yes. Sports references. <laughs> and and you could be on the ball field or the basketball court with any celebrity athlete for, for hours, um, kicking field goals, throwing free throws, and you'll never know what it's like to be to be a star in that sport. But get get on the starting line of a marathon, get on the starting line of a 5K or a 10K, and you're going to know exactly what it's like to, to be at the height of that sport. It's, it's really awesome. I remember running the 2014 Boston Marathon, and this was the year right after uh, the bombings. And it was an think, emotional year. Very emotional, emotional year, year to run it. There were a lot of spectators. I think there were about a million people on the side of the roads. And I felt like I felt like a rock star. I felt like a pro runner, like at the front of the pack, because I had a million people cheering me on as I right. ran a, a pedestrian marathon. And and that's such right. an awesome feeling that you just you don't get anywhere else. And, and, and you were the, a rock star. It took so much courage for for all of you to toe the line that year and really um, elevate the sport to, to tra- transcend hatred. And, um, and so it was, it was beautiful to, to witness how many people showed up to participate in the, in the race itself. And then to do them, the spectators on the, on the sidelines, doing them justice by cheering was really awesome. There was a record for, (laughs) thank you, Dina. There was, there was a record for not just spectators, but I think the number of runners that year too. And it was the whole, the whole community just galvanized behind Boston that year. And it it was a really special year to uh, to be part of the marathon. Race director Dave McGilvery opened up more spots for people to run just because of just because of the tragedies the the year before, and to note that they had a record number of people watching um, on TV and online. So it it was breaking records all over the all over the place. Yeah, and American Man won that that race. I think Meb won for the first time uh, since yep. the '80s, right. I believe. I don't know the exact yeah. year, but records all around. It was a great day. Yep. Um, okay, Dina, my last question for you is uh, hopefully going to be a fun one. You write about creating 
small shots of positivity that you call strategic joy. How can we add some strategic joy to our lives today? Yeah, I, I think everyone's different in strategic joy, which is why it's such a such a beautiful process. And for me, it's fresh flowers, um, putting fresh flowers in the kitchen or over the, the laundry um, so that it can make laundry more enjoyable. Um, I think anything that resonates with you, it could be how I have to listen to good upbeat music if I'm scrubbing toilets in the house. It's, it's making unpleasurable moments of our day that we have to accomplish, um, adding that joy strategically to, to make some of those moments a, a better part of our day. And, and we do it because we deserve it. And I think that that was a, a, big, a big thing in my learning process is so much of the time I was adding things in my life to become a better runner. And when I finally got to the, to the phase of my growth to be able to add those things because I was deserving of, of those things, deserving of the fresh flowers, deserving of putting on loud music and opening the windows um, without, their, without thinking that, they, that I needed the, the effect of positive performance um, was a really, really big deal. It's sort of like a random act of kindness, doing, doing something kind for somebody without needing the thank you or anything in return. It's doing it, um, doing something for yourself just because, because you enjoy, you enjoy something. And there's a, there's a really, um, a deep, um, a deep resonance in resonance in our bodies when we can do that for ourselves. For me, I think it's going to be an extra cup of coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did mention having a lot of travel. So, so that's, that's yeah. great. Now, so Dina, from what I'm hearing from you, I should still keep blasting music when I take a shower, even though my entire family makes fun of me. Is that an example of strategic joy that I insert into my life? Absolutely. As long as the joy you feel listening to that music in the shower doesn't outweigh the pain of your family's, <laughs> of your family's ridicule. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now, now I, I'm sorry, I do have one more question. Now, are you putting fresh flowers where the laundry is or are you putting fresh flowers where the dirty clothes are to mask the smell? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. It's in my visual line of sight, so I can appreciate them visually as I'm handling um, uh, filthy clothes. Yes, I see. Um, I, we yeah. ask the tough questions here on the Strength Running Podcast. <laughs> as you should, as you should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dina. Well, thank you so much for, for spending some time and hanging out with us today. This was really fun learning about kind of your mental journey throughout your career. And, uh, you know, I've admittedly, I've only read about 40% uh, of your book, Let Your Mind Run, but it is just littered with relatable stories that runners are really going to love. Uh, and, and I know I was kind of I'm fist pumping along with a lot of these stories. And I was mentioning having kind of a almost a physical reaction to some of the, uh, the race stories. I think a lot of runners will really enjoy it. So let your mind run a memoir of thinking my way to victory an award-winning book. I can now say congratulations, Dina. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. Hi everyone. Jason here one more time to thank you for listening and remind you to go check out Dina's book, let your mind run. I'm so glad that I have my own copy and I know you're going to love the stories that helped shape Dina into the runner she is today. And before you turn me off today, you should definitely check out Steady MD, which is led by sub three marathoner Dr. Josh Emder. The goal is to give you a personal doctor online that's just for runners to help you stay fit, healthy, injury free, and competitive. 
And the best part, there's not going to be any co-pays or waiting rooms, surprise bills, anything like that. Instead, you'll get same-day responses from a doctor who's there for you 24-7. If you've ever seen a doctor, or physical therapist for that matter, who doesn't have any experience with runners, then you know how valuable it is for athletes who are training significantly. Having a doctor who gets you and your running goals and what you're going through in training is priceless. Go to steadymd.com slash strengthrunning to see if there are any spots left and how you can benefit from having a PCP who's also a runner. That's steadymd.com slash strengthrunning to see all the benefits. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the recent Apple Music reviews. Those mean a lot to me and we'll be in touch very soon.